I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. Honestly, the only thing I knew of Advent was a calendar with little chocolates behind it. In recent years, I've learned a little bit more about this beautiful season that helps us to focus our hearts and our minds on the coming of Jesus. I know how hectic and crazy December can be. And so one of the things I'm hoping for is that this month, you'll find some space for your soul to breathe. This is episode 48. Hi friend, you're listening to Find Hope Here. I'm your host, Teresa Whiting, author, speaker, ministry leader, friend, and fellow struggler. This is a podcast about the messy, complicated, painful parts of life, but also the beautiful, joy-filled hope that Jesus promises. Each week, we dig deep into God's Word together and talk about how His truth impacts our everyday lives. I'm not going to ask you to sit with me and have coffee because I seem to have my best conversations while I'm just doing life. So I'd love to hang out with you as you walk or fold laundry or drive to work. You're invited to join me in pursuing the hope God promises. No matter where you are or where you've been, I pray you always find hope here. Let's jump in to today's episode. If there's one thing I want for you when you listen to this podcast is that you will walk away with hope. And it just so happens that hope is the theme of the first week of Advent. With hope, we can walk through this broken life with a confident trust that God is good, that our pain has a purpose, and that the best is yet to come. When I decided to do some readings for Advent, I reached out to some of my writer friends, and today's reading is brought to you by Rachel Farnback. Rachel has written a beautiful guide for Advent called Dwell, an Advent Study and Liturgy. She says this in the introduction. As you approach this Advent season, I would like to encourage you to do so in light of this beautiful truth. The God who dwelled with Adam and Eve the God who dwelled with Abraham, Moses, and David, the God who dwelled with the twelve and many other disciples, the God who dwelled with the early church, that same God desires to dwell with you. He desires to do more than just spend time with you. He desires to live intimately with you day in and day out. He desires to partner with you in stewarding this life He has given you. You are wanted and loved redeemed and given purpose. You are not a mistake. You are not forgotten. He came as the Messiah to make that known to you. He is coming again once more to make all things right. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And now I'm reading from week one, day three. Image bearer, Eve. The question is posed to me, what is this that you've done? And in me, what is this that you've done? And through me, what is this that you've done? And around me, what is this that you've done? He is the very breath that I take in as I search for words to form my answer. Though there is no room for explanation, only admission, because he is known and he knows. 
And yet knowing this, just moments before, I stood at the base of the tree and convinced myself to push away what was known for a promise of what was not. For the first time since my first breath, vines have taken up residence inside my mind and strangle the light from my thoughts, dimming truth and understanding. I roll the thick stem of a fig leaf pinched between my thumb and forefinger, as if the subtle vibration will knock the vines loose. I reverse the movement and the leaf twirls in the opposite direction. A question found me at the base of the tree, a question dipped in an opportunity to know what was unknown, an existence without him, without him in me and through me and around me, an existence where he is not known and I am not known, an existence without his presence ever dwelling with creation, an existence without his oversight solo ruling humanity. Within the promise of insight, I forgot the promise of purpose. Image bearer, male and female, he created us to reflect him in the task of stewardship, co-rulers within this space of his cosmic tabernacle. I forgot and reached up. I forgot and took hold. I forgot. The serpent's deception caused me to forget. A whisper of admission pushes past the lump of shame and guilt in my throat. And I ate. He knows. And I am known. And in that space of the known, I am aware of the edges of what once was unknown, an existence without him, swallowing the corners of the garden as it inches forward, extinguishing the light that emanates deep from within creation and through creation and around creation, leaving a dullness where once there was vibrance. This new known, a slow snuffing out of divine presence, triggers something new within my chest. Fear. Fear of death. And this fear is greater than my fear of his judgment. My eyes snap from the ground to his face and focus with panic. He meets my gaze with the unexpected. Forgiveness. We will not die. But just as I am certain we will not die, I am also certain we will not live either. At least, not live in the way we have known living to be. I glance sideways at Adam. He hasn't noticed how the edge touches the color of creation and dims the radiance. He is focused on the pronounced judgment over the serpent. With the finality that accompanies those words, He glances my way, and I see he thinks we are in the clear, that we will be okay. His optimism fades, though, as he sees the life-disrupting edges consuming the ground just beyond me. He swallows hard. Panic replaces assurance. Beyond Adam, I notice the edge inches its way up the trunk of the fig tree and consume each leaf. Earlier, we created covers of protection from those very leaves, How did we not know there is no protection from the consequence of treason? I thought knowing would be slow and illuminating like the rising sun, but I now know it is the slow setting sun that leaves the world visionless. As the dimness takes the light out from the very last leaf on the longest branch of the tree, his words command my attention and I will myself to take my eyes off that edge of dimness and focus on his face. His pronouncement layers pain and suffering into my image-bearer role. 
The words feel otherworldly and the situation incomprehensible. I know this is important, that it will have long-lasting impact, but the dimness closing in poses the imminent threat. He turns to Adam and tells of the struggle that will be between him and the ground. Adam stands silently after the pronouncement is finished, letting the truth settle over him. He glances to the edge of the dimness that has picked up speed and is swallowing whole plants at a time before bringing his gaze back to me. There is an acceptance shrouding his countenance as he simply says, You will be called Eve. My spirit meets the renaming as presumption, and I feel the friction deeply. The name removes my oneness with Adam and establishes my identity squarely in what I can produce. It feels like both a compliment bestowed and a wall of division erected. I reach out and grab his hand to stabilize the conflict within me, but drop it when the usual electric current of connection is not there. It is then that I see the animal skins fashioned into coverings for Adam and I, lying on the ground at our feet. My stomach drops as I see the deep brown and white fur and immediately recognize the animal that once wore it. Blood has been shed to provide covering. The brutality of it and the necessity of it feels like another source of friction. He first clothes Adam, and then he turns his attention to me. Gently, tenderly, he wraps me with the covering, holding me at arm's length to assess his workmanship. He makes no statement, but I can see that he is satisfied. Fear prickles my spine up into the base of my skull as the vines unwrap from my mind and the light of clarity regains its footing. We can no longer know him. At least, not the way we have, not in his dwelling place. We seized insight into what we didn't know, and that act has cost us what we did know. Intimacy breathing life into the very skin of our being. I will no longer be one with Adam and I will no longer dwell with Adonai. The finality of that statement reaches into the depths of my innermost being and draws out lament. I drop to my knees and fall forward on my hands. Another wail escapes as I see the garden is nearly completely eaten by the dimness. Adam's arms wrap around my shoulders, trying to both comfort me and raise me from the ground, but I fight with him with a newfound strength fueled by anger, anxiety, and distress. That is, until I see the edge of dimness just a few feet away from my fingertips. The weight of my sudden retreat from the edge throws Adam off balance and he tumbles into the dirt next to me. I crawl away from the edge and towards Adonai, rising to my feet halfway and covering the remaining distance in a run. When I reach him, I throw myself down at his feet, ignoring the pain as my knees hit the ground and sob, Please, no! Even as the words abscond my lips, I know they are futile, but I repeat the word please with desperation, tinging my voice. Please don't turn me away from you. My body convulses with the weight of exile, and I close my eyes against the reality of my next statement. If I cannot live with you, I will die apart from you. The air has become heavier and my lungs burn as I take in breaths quicker than I'm used to. The sounds, too, have become different. Distorted, the light-amplified color is not the only thing the edge has taken. 
The electric current of connection from his hand on the side of my head startles me, but I respond with a shake of refusal, closing my eyes even tighter. I am terrified of what will greet me if I open them. But he doesn't ask me to. Instead, he whispers into my ear what he spoke over the serpent. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head. You'll wound his heel. And with that declaration follows a vision of a being who carries both the image of Adonai and his very essence. The Redeemer, the one will restore and make right the world, the one who will push back the edge and make a way to once again dwell in his presence, to once again know as well as be known. My eyes fly open and I gasp for breath, reaching out to cling to him. But my hands meet nothing and I fall forward, the gravel piercing the softness of my palms once again. As a stabilizing peace covers me, I am aware of the permission to feel deeply the grief that has taken up residence within my soul. He breathes his special name for me, the one that belongs only to him, over my being, and a strength spreads from the top of my head to the tips of my fingers and toes. I rise from the ground and stand before him. I stand before him, known. But even more than that, I stand before him, loved. His wanted creation. He takes my hand and places it in Adam's as the last crevices of the garden are consumed by the edge of dimness. We keep our eyes on him until all has been consumed and we can no longer see him. It is done. We have been sent out. I drop Adam's hand and take a step forward. I cannot see it, but I know the garden is still there. A low growl meets my ears first, and then the sight of cherubim with their swords of fire meet my eyes. I step back out of respect for the spiritual beings. But then I stand still, searching for him. He is still there, still able to be known. But it feels different like how I know Adam's arm is still under the animal skin and how I can feel the form of it, but I cannot touch his skin, cannot feel the heat emanating from it. I can still know Adonai on this side of the separation, but it will not be the same, at least not until I turn to Adam. He will come, the Redeemer. Adam nods, yes, and all will be made right. He nods again. Yes, and Adonai will dwell with us once more. Adam sighs, relief settling into his being as he contemplates my words. Yes, he holds out his hand. It's time for us to go, he says with resolve. I place my hand into his, and together we venture into what was once unknown. If you'd like to read more of Rachel's Advent devotional, and I highly recommend it, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The first mention of hope we have in scripture is Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In that moment in the garden, when Adam and Eve were filled with shame and despair, God spoke words of hope. 
He spoke of a Redeemer who would come and reverse the curse. I'm going to close out this episode by sharing a collection of scriptures that will set our hearts on the hope of our Redeemer. Romans 8, 20-24 Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Isaiah 9.6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Matthew 1.20 Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Luke 2.11 Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. John 1:14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Romans 5, 1-5 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Titus 2, 11-14 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 13. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Thanks for hanging out with me today on Find Hope Here. To find anything I mentioned on the episode, go to teresawhiting.com slash listen. That's where you can find all the show notes. I hope you'll check out Rachel's new devotional, Dwell. And also, if you haven't left a five-star rating and review, would you consider doing that today? That's a great way to help spread the word about this podcast. Thanks so much and have a beautiful and blessed week. And now we'll end with my favorite verse on hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.